You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us today and for the beautiful day that you've provided for us. Oh, Lord, how we take for granted even the little things in our life. But, Lord, uh, how oft we are to forget the great things that you have done in our lives. So, Lord, deliver us from fear that we would know in our hearts and in our lives that our help is in the strong name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. In Jesus' name, amen. I've realized if you get invited to anything uh, by the Advent these days, there are three things that you should bring, uh, a chair, a beverage, and a Bible. And so uh, if you would, open uh, your Bibles to Psalm 124. That's uh, page 517 if you have one of the Advent leather-bound Bibles. In uh, the early part of the 20th century, at the turn of the century, history became a big topic. Uh, The Civil War actually wasn't that long ago. People who were alive at the turn of the century remembered it. And really, America was beginning to gain a greater sense of itself, especially as a world power, as we headed into World War I, and before that, the Spanish-American War. And so in response to all of that, about our own identity as a nation and how we are able to gauge ourselves, Henry Ford said this, history is more or less bunk. By that, Ford meant that history is nonsense. It's not something that we really ought to be able to uh, or ought to take into consideration uh, about who we are and, and where we're going as a people. And certainly, our own personal history doesn't matter that much. What really matters is what lies ahead. Now compare that to what George Santayana said earlier in 1905. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Now, I don't think that this is just a a conversation that happened in the early 20th century. It's a conversation that we're having today. And certainly, Henry Ford's words have won the field and held it. We think that history is more or less bunk, but even if we don't think that, that's certainly how we live. Uh, I was interested years ago when, uh, can you believe the year 2000 was 20 years ago? Remember when we were all stockpiling gasoline in our backyards because of Y2K? Well, as the millennium was uh, was coming around, uh, a newspaper in England did this massive survey with hundreds of thousands of people chiming in on who they thought was the most famous person of the millennium. The most famous person from the last thousand years. And the people of the United Kingdom said that the most famous people, the number one spot and the number two spot, the most famous people of the last thousand years were Princess Diana and Nelson Mandela. Now, they certainly are famous in their own right and gave greatly uh, to our world and in many ways are heroes, but really the most famous people from the last thousand years 
Now, we in the States may have said something different, but I don't think that we would have showed any appreciation for any period of time going back 20 years. I think our answers, whatever the American equivalent of Diana and Nelson Mandela might have been, is what we might have said. A dominant cultural narrative is that the past is not only something to be ignored, but eliminated. And we all suffer from amnesia, historically, culturally, and spiritually. The Bible understands this because God understands our need to be reminded. Psalm 124 says to us this morning, remember, remember, remember. This psalm of ascent is one that would be sung or recited as people would make their way up to Mount Zion, there to Jerusalem. And it's written by David, but we're not exactly sure what the events are that he's hearkening back to. Now, certainly we can look at this and we can begin to fit biblical stories in the confines of this passage, but we don't know exactly what he's talking about. But if you only looked back on David's life, his own personal experiences, you would see that he had been delivered any number of times. You can go through First and Second Samuel and the first bit of First Kings and see God's intervention obvious in his life. David's life makes no sense apart from God's intervention. I don't simply mean his calling. His calling to be king, his calling to begin a lineage that would ultimately give birth to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. I mean David's very existence. If not God, then what would have become of David? Well, here we're told he would have been swallowed alive, swept over by a flood, taken under by a torrent, lost in raging waters, held captive. David looks back on his life and says, if not for God. This is not a psalm saying, hey, thanks God for helping me out. I could have probably worked it out on my own, but I appreciate you saving me some heartache. No, all would have been lost. It was about to go completely dark and then God. If not for God's intervention, where would you be? You may not have come as close to so many encounters of death as David did, but if you're not able to see God's saving hand in your life, you may have one of two problems. One, you're not a Christian. Two, you are a Christian but have a spiritual blind spot that leads you to think that you can save yourself. And I'm not talking spiritually. Uh, many of us will say, of course, only God can save me through the Lord Jesus Christ by his cross and resurrection. Only by those means am I able to come and have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. I'm talking about your day-to-day -day life. If God is so intimately involved in saving you, how intimately involved do you think that he is in your day-to-day -day living? 
Because if you're overly self-reliant with worldly things, that's going to be, begin to seep into how you approach spiritual things. If God had not been on our side, and David wants you to fill in the blank. Think about yourself. If God had not been on your side, then what? These are the verses of, a, these are the, this is a great chorus for you to sing when you're in the car or when you're walking around the house. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and David interrupts himself, let Israel now say, say it again, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. If these two verses are the chorus of a Christian, well then we know that whatever situation we're in, it could be worse. Do you ever stop to think about that? It could be worse. I don't. I use words like, this is the worst it could possibly be. Like, Major League Baseball almost didn't happen, and my response is, this is the worst. I, but it's not, is it? And how many times have you been in a situation and you've thought it's the worst? And it could be a terrible situation. But here David is saying, if you're a Christian and you know that God is involved in your life, you actually are able to find joy in even the most dire of situations because you know it could be worse. Christians are given by God an optimistic pessimism. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, it could have been a lot worse. This doesn't make light of the suffering we undergo, but as Christians, we put our suffering in perspective. It doesn't numb us to our trials, but moves us to a place where all we have is Jesus. It actually engenders in us a sense of thanksgiving, not only for our deliverance, but that God is glorified in that we are able to see that he is our only hope for health and salvation. God, teach me to trust you, we pray. Help me to see that when I feel like life is about to overwhelm me, when the anger of others is kindled against me, when it feels like I'm stuck in the fowler's snare, that even in that moment, in the valley of the shadow of death, you're there. But notice that what David is celebrating here and what he's calling on us to celebrate is not our trust in God, but God's faithfulness to us. It's not our commitment to him, but his commitment to us. Do you see that in Psalm 124? Not once does David say, hey, remember how we called out to you, God? Remember how strong we were in our faith when this happened? Remember how we did everything according to your word, so then you intervened? No, David says, remember God's faithfulness to his wayward people in distress. And this trust and this faithfulness is more than just sentiment. It's historical. It's true. It's the real reality. 
God's faithfulness is more than just an idea that we hold, but a demonstrable fact. That's what David is doing here. He's saying, remember when this happened? And if God intervened in these events in the life of our people and in my own individual life, why won't he intervene today? Remember these things. Look back upon these things. These are objective facts that come from outside of ourselves. And this is how we know that God is faithful. God's salvation comes to us apart from ourselves, from the outside. As remarkable as these events were in the life of David or in the life of Israel, the ultimate rescue would come in Jesus Christ. He did not wait to be invited or wanted but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I had a strange experience uh, in the small hours of Thursday morning I preached this sermon Thursday when we were recording it, so for me it was very fresh in my mind. But in the middle of the night, Thursday night, I, I woke up with an accusatory voice in my ear. Most of the night I had tossed and turned and I attributed my restlessness to the fact that that day would be the first day of school for my girls. But then there was this voice jogging my memory and taking me back to places that I didn't want to go in my mind. And I heard this voice saying, failure, fraud, liar. And this voice had all the evidence to back it up. I could see in my mind's eye the guilt that I live with over past decisions, sins, brokenness but don't feel all that much in the past. And as I was lying there in my bed, I felt a great despair. How am I going to get out of this? How do I get to a point where I can move on, where I can let the past be the past? I know I can't repress it, so do I just have to live with it? But how is it that it has such a hold on me? What am I to do? As I sat there being reminded of my own brokenness, the sun began to rise. And through my curtains, I could see the outline of a cross made by my sliding glass doors and window in my bedroom. And look, I, I don't normally go into this sort of thing. Normally, I would just say, well, that's just the frame of the, of the doors and windows. But in that moment, I knew it wasn't just a cross. It was the cross. And with the aftertaste of despair in my mouth, I got out of bed and began to sing to myself, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him 
and pardon me. If you want objective, historical evidence that God loves you and stands ready to save, look at Jesus. Look to that once and for all event 2,000 years ago on a hill outside the city of Jerusalem where he bled and died for you. It's not a feeling. It's not just an idea. It's not a hunch. It's a reality. Remember, remember, remember. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.